we're back. Ladies so back. and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, welcome again aboard the BYU Hype Train podcast. It has been way too long since we've been together. Uh, I was looking at, uh, I was looking through like my podcast downloads um, and I was, I saw that the last episode that we had was back in February. Uh, so brethren, it's been too long. It's good to be with you. <laughs> Uh, what, how has your summer been? Well, I mean, what podcast doesn't take like a six month break, right? Six it's months been, on, yeah. six months off. It's the whole two years on, two years off idea, but just podcasting. So, um, uh, I mean, we my served summer... our church mission for, for <laughs> podcasting. Now we've been called to the primary. So here we are. Um, <laughs> I mean, my summer was good. I don't think it was as eventful as either of yours. So I'll let you guys kick it off with what like is newsworthy uh, in the BYU Hype Train podcast world because I pretty much just hung out, watched baseball, and worked. So yeah, that sounds like the life to me. That's that's where I'm headed now. Uh, actually, graduated from BYU this last semester. So at the Woo-hoo. end of would have been April, May. Um, at least Got two that. of us are alumni. Yeah. <laughs> Got that. Welcome on. to you, Hunter Miller. <laughs> I mean. Got... Oh, I love it. Got that all taken care of. Um, have been working and actually have, because of where I've been working, a fun little opportunity, little promotion. So taking the kids and the wife out to Colorado for a year uh, to, to work there. And then we'll be back. Uh, but you know that we'll be in Cougar Blue whether we're here in Utah or in Colorado. So Fort Collins, Colorado State, Boulder with Colorado, you guys better be ready. There's going to be a little bit more royal where you guys are living. So you going to jump? Are you going to ride with Russell Wilson while you're out there? <laughs> you know, the Broncos are playing the Jets. And as of right now, my wife and I are planning on going. So. And my mother-in-law actually offered to come and babysit the kids so we could go, which for, go. for a woman who doesn't really love sports, uh, the fact that she would offer to do that is, is a big step. Uh, but, oh, and of course, the other big thing uh, was we had our second child. I can't like, I love how I, that came I, third. Dude, yeah, I feel like I'm going for last. Broncos Jets. Best and for I have last. Baby. Dang it. Best for last. <laughs> Trevor's no. married to the game, baby. <laughs> married no, to, to the job. First two, first two things were BYU related, and then I had a child. <laughs> <laughs> to to be honest, to be honest, it just she's been we've had her for three months, but it's it's been one of those things where it feels like she's been around forever. Uh, so couldn't remember if I had mentioned her or not before. But yes, little baby Willow. Uh, she was born eight pounds, four ounces. Uh, she is doing fantastic. Uh, don't want to jinx anything, but she's been sleeping through the night. Uh, so she's the real MVP of this offseason. Um, Taylor did wonderfully as well. She's healthy and up and up and at it as well. And, and uh, Ridley's been just an awesome big sister, especially for only being two. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to explain, you know, that we have to split attention now, but she's, she's handled it like a champ. So my summer has been pretty eventful actually looking back on it. So great question. Joe, Trevor got a baby. Uh, you got, you completed step one on that journey. Yes. Uh, I am married. Uh, last time, last time we talked, I think I had just gotten engaged. 
Um, and now I'm married. I've been married for about three months. Marriage is awesome. Highly recommend it, especially when it's someone as cool as Michaela Jackson. Uh, now Michaela Jackson Wheat, I suppose. Um, and speaking of babies, uh, last night we just got a puppy. Oh. So uh, that went differently than uh, the, <laughs> the initial. Uh, I just, sentence. I just gave, I just gave my mom and Michaela a heart attack uh, <laughs> with that. But uh, yeah, we just got a puppy last night. Her name is Minnie, uh, or Minnie Wheat is uh, is her full name. Um, she's about two months old and about one pound. So she is a tiny, tiny little creature, but we love her. Um, other than that, uh, I just started a new job yesterday uh, up at uh, Tanner doing mergers and acquisitions. So uh, if any of you guys have a merger or acquisition that you guys are working on, <laughs> uh please let me know um and let us sponsor your company uh let us uh, let us endorse your company here on the byu hype train podcast uh we are open for business as brett yormark would say uh out of out of the big 12. um but speaking of open for business out of the big 12 uh some of the big news that we missed over the summer was conference realignment um and all of its glory and so I guess we'll kind of start there because that's too big of a topic, uh, you know, not to start with. Um, Hunter, we'll kind of start with you. Where do you see all of this conference real? Like, where do you want to see it go? Um, and where do you actually see it going uh, as the end game? Uh, where do I want to see it go and where I think it's going to go are two very different things. So I'll lead off with where I'd like to see it go. I'd like to see the Pac-12 implode by Oregon and Washington joining the Big Ten along with Stanford and Cal. Right. You get the, those academic schools that are you know highly regarded by the Big Ten. You obviously have Northwestern in there, a very good school. And you add Stanford and Cal to that mix. And you also add the football powerhouses of Oregon and Washington. Um, you know, those big brands, schools that can compete at a high level pretty consistently. I know Washington was down this last year. Oregon's had its up and ups and downs, but those are two big football brands. Uh, then I'd love to see Oregon or I'd love to see uh, Arizona and Arizona State join the Big 12, right? Just keep getting this ragtag bunch of misfits in the Big 12 and just create this super fun, awesome, competitive conference that has parity from top to bottom in football minus Kansas. Um, and basketball pretty much top to bottom. And then I'd love to see Washington State, Oregon State, and Utah go back to the Mountain West where they belong. And then they can just have fun down there in like the tier two of college football. Uh, that's where I'd like to see it go, right? Like in an ideal world, Utah is forced to just like play Utah State every year for Mountain West Conference championship game. And like their rival is be becomes Wyoming. That would be that'd be really nice to see personally, right? Uh, where I do see it going is obviously much different than that. And I don't think that there's really one clear route as of right now. I think there's so many smoke screens. There's so many things that are just being put out into the world right now that we don't really know exactly where things are headed. Obviously there were rumors that, you know, like Arizona, uh, had been meeting with big 12 Oregon, right. A couple of days ago, it was put out that Oregon had met with the big 10. Uh, I think conversations are happening. I don't know where it's going. I think the most likely scenario is probably a combination of what I want to see with Oregon and Washington and maybe Stanford going to the Big Ten. And then I think you see Arizona State, Arizona, and then, you know, Utah, Colorado probably coming to the Big 12 if the Pac-12 were to fold altogether. And I think right now that's still the most likely scenario just because 
there's no one that the Pac-12 can go and get right now, right? Like you just lost your biggest brand, your biggest market, and, you know, pretty much all of college football, right? Because there's no true college football team in New York City. Uh, There's really no big college football team in the Northeast, right? Like Boston, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C. Like they don't have college football teams. So you're talking about L.A. as probably the biggest college football market. I know it's not specifically all just college football, but when you control pretty much all of Southern California, like USC and UCLA do, like that's a lot of eyeballs and they're gone. I don't know how the PAC 12 can recoup that loss unless they really swing for the fences and somehow convince a big time school or probably multiple big time schools to come join the PAC 12. And right now I don't see anyone leaving their sure footing in their other conferences to go join what looks to be a sinking ship of the PAC 12 right now. No, yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more with that. I don't. I don't. I just don't think they, the Pac-12, has enough to offer. Uh, or I should say, I guess the Pac-10 now or will be, um, as as fun and as funny as it would be to see how many middle fingers we could see the Wyoming coach throw at Kyle Whittingham before he retires. Um, I I think as I heard this this Pac-12 Big 12 conference realignment. Um, news i think there were some mixed feelings there i think as a fan um and as somebody who has struggled to like or not even like but has struggled with the utah my entire life um i think it was really easy for me initially to just be like yes like mountain west or you can anywhere but the big 12 right but i think the thing that hit me the most was a simple question uh with packed with uh conference realignment which was do i hate utah or love byu more because i think as we look at conference realignment and just the conference kind of power um situation power struggle that we have going on right now there's a clear one and there's a clear two and obviously that's the sec and the big 10 and if you think of it as an analogy like if you look at money like the SEC and the Big Ten are going to get the lion's share of that. So it is a race to be the hyena, if you will, like the third best conference, the one that's going to be able to eat after the lion's share. You don't want to be the vultures, which is going to be the other power five conferences. And you definitely don't want to be the maggots, which is like the G5, you know, the flies, everybody else. All right. We're trying to be the hyena. And I think if you bring in, as Hunter said, the Arizona, the Arizona state, Utah, Colorado, I think that puts you ahead of the ACC. Who's incredibly top heavy with Clemson. And then the bottom just falls out from there. Um, And then obviously the pack 12 falls apart entirely. So I, I think as much as I don't like Utah, I love BYU and I want them in the best position to be successful. And realistically, with the Big Ten and the SEC being as good as they are, I think third is the best that we can hope for. And I think being able to surround ourselves and really shore up that third best Power Five conference is probably the way to go. So that's been that's been something I've been pulling and hoping for this entire offseason. So. Trevor, Trevor spitting fire with that lion analogy. I'm, I'm a little bummed you didn't get the mountain lion in there, but like props to you for – couldn't make the no. geographics the the geography work there i i couldn't like i was just like excited to hear where you were going with that because it was like yeah the lion share and then hyenas are like ooh, 
Ooh. There were some maggots. And then he in was there. like the vultures, and then the maggot like, spitting bars of like Utah was the, the maggots. Food chain of <laughs> yeah. Utah State. The food chain of African <laughs> ecosystems. Just you love to see it. Uh, he did get that BYU degree, and it's showing already. Absolutely. <laughs> Exercise uh, science and wellness, baby. Let's go. <laughs> so uh, my my opinion on this has honestly changed uh, since uh, we last heard from Kevin Warren. Um, so my original take has been that. I don't see like, the thing we have to remember is uh, this is all driven by value. It's all driven by how much additional value can you bring the conference. Um, and if you don't add value, you're not going to get picked up. And I think that the big 10 and sec know that um, now Kevin Warren said the other day, and it kind of blew up my entire take on this, that they want to expand to 20 teams um, and they want to eventually pay players. And what that says to me is this is headed for, uh, I think they're probably just waiting for Notre Dame and a couple ACC schools to open up, uh, maybe Oregon. And then I think they're eyeing maybe a split, uh, a split from the NCAA so that they can, you know, pay their players with, uh, you know, the hundreds of millions of dollars and the billions that they're, they're getting from this new TV deal with Fox. Now, Personally, I think that's a stupid move. Um, I think that any any split that uh, that you make from the NCAA, or maybe that's fine, but any split you make from the other Power Five leagues or even the other G5 leagues, it totally undercuts what makes college football special. And I think you lose eyeballs. Like I, I think you're you're going for a short-term gain uh, and a long-term death because I don't think the country at large has any interest in a 40 team uh, big 10, big 10 sec kind of like super league. Um, Cause I like, I don't know for you, like for you guys, maybe it's different, but for me, my interest in those leagues is all in how it relates to BYU. Like I am a BYU fan first and nothing else. And so for me, what matters is, okay, that Penn state, Michigan state game that was played last December I'm going to watch that game because it had New Year's six implications for BYU. Um, like I'm, I'm watching where BYU is in the rankings and I care about the, the games that are being played of the teams ranked above them. You cut off BYU's access from that kind of a system. I stop watching. And I think that's true for honestly, probably half of college, like pretty much any fan of a college football program that's outside of one of those, you know, power leagues you're completely cutting off the entire Western half of the United States. Um, like I, Hunter, you were talking about how like USC and UCLA dominate Southern California. While that's true, Southern California isn't much to dominate when it comes to college football. Um, you look at attendance for both USC and UCLA last year, it's abysmal. You look at the TV numbers for those two schools, it's really not that significant uh, above like even a school like Utah. Um, we know that like Oregon is carrying the conference now. If they like, if they bolt to, to the big 10, like you're pretty much killing West coast football as we know it. And the problem is it's probably already dead. Um, we just haven't done the autopsy yet. Um, but yeah, like th that's what I think is, I think a split is coming. Um, probably. And I think that's going to be the worst thing for it. I think if the big 10 and sec are smart, they'll just expand the playoff in a way that benefits them that in a, like 
you can pseudo say that everyone has access to the championship um, so that you, you know, you keep the rest of the country engaged, but really it just benefits those two conferences, which is really the system that we have now. Um, but yeah, I, I could definitely see it expanding, you know, to 12, 16 teams with all auto bid or with all uh, at large bids. And then we just kind of go from there. Um, how that affects BYU, I don't know. We'll kind of see. Um, I hope, like my, my vision is that the Big 12 becomes that third league, that hyena that Trevor was talking about, where you have the best of the, the rest and you can still have a super fun conference with that. Like we're already seeing that the, like the new Big 12 has five ranked teams in the preseason top 25. Like that's still a competitive league up there with most of the Big 10 and SEC Sands like, you know, your Alabamas, your Georgias, your Ohio States. But like get past those blue blood teams. The Big 12 is competitive with those other leagues. Um, and so I kind of wanted to ask the question to you guys, like with the addition of USC and UCLA and Texas and Oklahoma, did the SEC and Big 10 really get that much better on the field? I mean, SEC added a team that's been to the majority of playoffs, right, in Oklahoma. And I mean, well, it's to be seen how, you know, the departure of Lincoln Riley and, you know, all the recruits like Caleb Williams who transferred over there with him, uh, how that impacts Oklahoma. But I think it's a short term impact, right? Because it's still Oklahoma. It's still been a powerhouse football program for what, like 40, 50 years. Uh, and now you're in the SEC. So now you're recruiting at an SEC level. I think Texas, right? Texas is perhaps the biggest brand, if not a top three brand in college football, more money than anyone else in college football. We'll see how it impacts them. I think obviously you will see an SEC bump um, in terms of recruiting. I don't know how much of a bump Texas can receive because it seems like they're pretty consistently, you know, top 10 rankings and still can't do anything with it. But I think the bigger question to your point is how much, I think the SEC got a lot better, right? You add, because it's been Oklahoma, or it's been Alabama, Georgia, uh, with the occasional like Auburn or LSU siding every once in a while, right? Like that's kind of been, as much as we talk about the SEC being the best conference, like that's what it's been for the last like 10 years is those four teams. So now you add Oklahoma, who's been a you know national title contender for the last 10 years into that mix. You add a brand like Texas, who has the potential that Texas has into that mix. I think you jump from you know, four, five teams that can compete at an any at any given year to, you know, now like seven, eight teams that can compete at any given year. I think the Big Ten is probably much different because I don't see UCLA really ever being a powerhouse football program, especially while USC's in town. Like at the end of the day, the better recruits, if you're wanting to go play in Southern California, you're probably going to USC and not UCLA, right? There's going to be outliers, but majority of the time, the highly recruited players who are wanting to play in LA are going to USC. And then, you know, USC, who knows how they'll be impacted in this move. I don't think it, the move itself made a lot of sense for USC and UCLA in terms of at least on-field product, just because now you're playing in November in Purdue, or, you know, you're waking up and playing at 9 a.m. Pacific time, on a frozen lake at Northwestern, right, in early December. So we'll see how it impacts uh, the actual on-field play of USC and UCLA, but I don't think they got nearly the caliber of teams and programs that the SEC got. They just got, I think, TV dollars, right? Because now you sign this giant TV deal and you can go to them and, you know, you brought up in your uh, 
segment, Joe, just about how, you know, USC and UCLA don't dominate the TV ratings, but USC does when they're really good, right? Like when they're national championship good, everyone in LA who's homers and Fairweather fans are going to turn in, turn on the TV to USC games. So I think you at least have that sleeping dragon of this LA market where if USC does put it together and they become good, well, now Big Ten has that entire media market and into all of Southern California watching USC games. Yeah, I with I just feel like I mean, obviously adding Oklahoma is 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 benefit like is awesome for the SEC. I feel like both conferences maybe raise their ceiling because like I mean the ceiling of USC, Texas and Oklahoma is about as high as any program in all of college football. Yeah. But the problem is is UCLA, USC, and Texas haven't really been competitive on a national scale in 15 years, maybe. Like, when was the last time we were talking about Texas in regards to a national championship? Like, or USC or UCLA? Like, USC, the last time we mentioned them in the national championship discussion was Pete Carroll. Um, They haven't really been close to getting to a playoff uh, since its inception. So it's like, unless there are some major structural changes that happen at those schools, it's hard to see where they go because we we have enough of a sample size to know that like, they're not very good at picking coaches. Like how many coaches has UCLA gone through the last 10 years? How many coaches has USC gone through, you know, since Pete Carroll left or Texas? Like Texas has just been a giant revolving door. Of, Put some respect on Smart's name. I mean, we'll see, right? Like, if there's anyone who can do it, like that's in reality, those are the preseason top 25 conferences. Like, those teams are like they're going to dominate the preseason polls, but it's like, how good are those teams really going to be once they hit the field? Like, I don't, I just don't know. Like, every year it feels like USC, UCLA, Texas are all in like the top 20, and then they end up going like eight and four, seven and five. Like, is I don't know. I just, I, I think like in terms of TV dollars, yes, those conferences have left everyone else behind. I'm not sure yet that they have on the field because yeah, like the potential is there for those schools, but those schools haven't been, Sands, Oklahoma, haven't been able to put it together on the field in like at least since I was in elementary school. But everything, here's what I'll say in retort to that is everything you said about like Texas could have also been said about Texas A&M at the point in which they joined the SEC, right? And lead up to them joining the SEC when they were in the Big 12, it was five and six, seven and six, four and eight, six and seven, nine and four, seven and six. First year in the SEC, 11 and two. You go, you get nine wins, you get eight wins. Consistently, ever since they've joined the SEC, they're eight or nine wins. They had a Heisman Trophy winner in Johnny Manziel. They're recruiting at a higher level, right? They had the number one recruiting class in the country this year. So I think, you know, you see the quality of football improve when you join the SEC, at least Texas A&M did, which is in a similar spot as Texas was, right? You're in Texas, you're recruiting hotbed, yet you're losing and you're not, you know, competing for national championships. You're not competing even for conference championships, which is where Texas has been the last few years, despite all the hundreds of million dollars that Texas has, despite all the hundreds of millions of dollars that Texas A&M had at the time, they still weren't able to put a winning product on the field. Then they make the jump from the Big 12 to the SEC. And just like that, Heisman Trophy winner, 11-win season, 9-win season, year after year after year, your 9, 8-win seasons, your recruiting gets better. So I think we could see a very similar jump for Texas. You know, Oklahoma's already been at that level. 
but I think Texas is sitting there and could we could see a very similar jump that we saw from Texas A&M when they joined the SEC. We could see that same thing happen with Texas, where they go from perennial five win, six win, seven win team to now a perennial eight, nine, 10, 11 win team. Yeah, no, I I think I think you nailed it on the on the head. I, I think, I mean, anybody going to the SEC, I think, is going to see a huge bump in success. And I think, as far as did the conference get better, I think if nothing else, adding Texas and Oklahoma, not not that SEC the SEC needed any more um, needed any more bias, but I think it removes any sort of question as to whether or not you know, two teams that have a great record from the SEC deserve to go to the national championship or not. I mean, I mean, last year, especially with Georgia and Alabama, that wasn't much of a question anyway, but, but if you take a team like Oklahoma who goes 11 and one, but their one loss is to Alabama. And then of course there's Alabama, like there's not going to be much discussion there. If both teams had wins at Auburn or against Texas or, you know, whatever the case might be, and so the the conference in itself has made itself stronger in its in its case of well, we have the best teams in the country, so we need to be able to have uh, two two teams in. As far as USC and UCLA goes, uh, UCLA I think, as you guys mentioned, was covered pretty well. I I do think USC is going to benefit a lot um, from moving to the Big Ten. I think they're going to carry in a lot of momentum now that Lincoln Riley is in LA. Uh, he has proven to be an incredible coach. And I think that he will be the next Pete Carroll. I mean, that's my, I don't do USC hot takes, but that's probably will be mine is that he's going to be able to lead them back to what they used to be uh, back in the early two thousands. Um, and I think that does make the big 10 better uh, UCLA as I mean, Hunter pointed out, like, I just don't think that they're ever going to reach uh, the same relevance. Um, I mean, you mentioned obviously USC being the bigger brand, but also just the fact that the state itself is fighting against UCLA and it's wanting to move to the Big Ten uh, with obviously not helping them financially uh, in most cases. So I just don't know if they, if UCLA has enough cards in their hand uh, in order to to really cash out there. Um, but I mean, they'll benefit a little from going to the Big Twelve now or Big. 10 naturally as well but that's just my thoughts uh i think we can all agree that the biggest uh the biggest winner here in the realignment saga is all of us because the entire nation has discovered utah fans and just how insane that they are uh i mean that's obviously not all utah fans but i've i've perused like if you guys don't have a 24 7 membership it's probably worth it just so you can see like you can look at other teams message boards as well um, I've gone through like the Utah message board once in a while to see if there's any like special knowledge I can glean from it. And at this point, like if I only listen to what I heard on there, Utah is either going to the SEC, the Big Ten, or the AFC East. Like they <laughs> are just so confident uh, that they're uh, that they're that they're going to go to one of these big leagues, um, and most of all that they're too big. They're they're too good for the Big Twelve. Um, which has honestly been one of my favorite things is that Big 12 Twitter has been introduced to uh, to Utah fans and honestly a lot of national writers have too, where uh, they're they're seeing that um, that Utah fans think that they're a little bit better and bigger on the college football landscape than they are. Like 
you lose or like, you win the Pac-12 once and all of a sudden you're in a terrible Pac-12 year In a terrible Pac-12 <laughs> year. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's all just been like, it's, it's been fun to watch. Uh, like, I think, you know, our, my entire life I've been told that BYU fans were the ones who like every year they think they're going to win a national championship every year. They think they're going to have a Heisman trophy winner every year. They think that, you know, this is the year that we get into a big conference and I, it's just like, I don't know what happened on September, uh, September 11th, 2021, but everything has just flipped since uh, BYU <laughs> beat Utah. We've seen Utah fans come up with the excuses. Oh, if our quarterback played the, that game, we would have won. We you see them, you know, excuse. yeah, the, the preseason uh, national champions, the Heisman Trophy winner, Cam Rising, who can't throw the ball more than 20 yards down the field. Uh, I like the well we well we almost won the Rose Bowl, like that's a fun crowd as well. Like we didn't win, but like we almost won the Rose Bowl against Ohio State's third string guys. What an accomplishment! The almost champs. It's like honestly watching the fans of other conferences just see the fans' reaction to conference realignment. It's like watching a rash spread. Like for the most part, we had it contained to just the West Coast, but but now the whole country has just experienced what a pain in the butt Utah fans can be at times. And it honestly is like, finally, now, you know why we're constantly itching and scratching over here. Cause they're really annoying. I love Trevor becoming like the Colin coward of the show, but only like <laughs> biology references. And <laughs> it's great. I love it. I, uh, I love Colin. He, gives, me, he, he gives zero facts, but I, I, have I, will, a rash I will take that it. You just can't itch. <laughs> Let me shift to Utah, this. Man. Look, I love Utah. I love no one loves a good roast of Utah fans more than I. And I'd love to roast them. I'd love to make fun of them. Quite frankly, I'd love to talk about how you know they've gone full delusion uh, ever since they lost to be really since COVID. I think they have like uh, they live in a constant state of COVID brain, whether they had COVID or not. Like 2020 was just don't count that. Don't count the first four games of 2021 either. You know we were undefeated in the games we won kind of mentality. I'd love to make fun of that. I'd love to make fun of their weird nickname for their quarterback. Like here's like some 21 year old kid and they're all like commenting about his body. Very strange, but I won't make fun of that. Kirby uh, Lad seven. Let's go. <laughs> I'd love to make fun of the fact that they have to curtain off like the, their arena for every other sport or that their student section is empty by halftime in conference games. I'd love to, I'd love to make fun of all those things, but I won't. Um, because really Utah has done BYU a tremendous favor, which is gaining BYU love by all their conf- new conference mates, right? Like BYU now goes into the Big 12 and instead of being like the weird Mormon school or the new guy, the new kid, uh, you know, on the block, BYU comes in already having great camaraderie with these pack or these Big 12 fan bases solely because they've all had to deal with Utah fans on Twitter now. Like there's this common bond that's already been established before BYU even steps foot onto a Big 12 field as a conference member. And it's all thanks to these Utah fans on Twitter. So I, I really, I can't thank them enough. I, I would buy them all a box of Cougar Tail Bilt Bars if I could. <laughs> Shout out to my haters. They made me famous. <laughs> um, so let's, uh, in the words of Colin Cowherd, let me shift to this. Uh, <laughs> This is a BYU show. This is a BYU podcast, first and foremost. And guys, we are, uh, what's the count? Is it 
10 days? How close are we to, to, to game day? I think we're 10 days out. I don't know, honestly. 14 uh, was Saturday are, was 14. How are how are you guys observing uh the the lead up to BYU's first game? I'm gonna be on a cruise, but it's out of Florida. So Okay. Like I'll be flying home from the cruise on Sunday morning, September 4th, out of our from Orlando back to Wait, Salt Lake. So, so I'm gonna be are sharing you missing the game? I mean, I bought the Wi-Fi on the boat so I could stream it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. As long as you're watching it. Um, I'll be watching it. Well, so we have to test for our crews, right? Like we have to take a COVID test. It's the last place on earth that is still COVID testing is like Royal Caribbean cruises. And they're putting an end to the testing on September 4th. And that's the day we get off the boat. So like we still have to be the ones that test. We're like the last people ever. Um, but I already told my wife, like if one of us tests positive this, you know, on Friday, like we're still getting to Florida. Like we're still going to get on the plane. We're going to go to Florida. We just won't board the boat. We'll just get an Airbnb in Orlando. We'll go to Disney World. We'll go to Tampa. We'll hang out on the beach. And then we'll go to the BYU-USF game uh, that Saturday. So if everything works out, we go on a cruise. Worst case scenario, I'm at the BYU game uh, on <laughs> September 3rd uh, against USF. So really a no-lose situation there. But uh, So I'll be soaking in the sunshine yet uh, following all things BYU on Twitter in the week leading up. Love to hear it. Uh, I think I'm in the stage now where I'm just like consuming any piece of BYU media that I can. Uh, I'm going back through, thank goodness, the, you know, shout out to uh, uh, Tyson Hutchins of uh, the BYU creative team, man. Uh, the stuff that they put out for Fall Trip has been awesome. Um, and I am watching those highlights like, 18 times a day probably like the moment they drop i'm just like watching it on repeat uh partially uh seeing how like uh, being amazed at how great jaron hall's uh touches on the football and how great byu's receivers are going to be but also uh how many times uh poor ethan slade can get burned on a route uh he's thankfully he's had some positive highlights being released on social media but uh Unfortunately, he's been asked to cover Puka Nakua in practice, so that's that's a recipe for disaster. To to his credit, he's been given the opportunity to cover Puka. That I think I think yeah. that says more about Ethan than it does about about Puka. Like I think I think the Tuiaki and the defense looks at at Ethan Slade and goes, you know what? Like y- you've got him. You know. You, Put him, put him on Slate Island. Hasn't been able to yet. It's yeah, clearly, clearly Slate, he doesn't all Slate Island has remained vacant so far. But I mean, credit to him for like accepting the responsibility. It's one right. thing to be handed the responsibility, and, but for him to be and, like, sure. And that that was that was unfair of me to say about Ethan Slade. Like, I'm sure he's <laughs> gonna be he's gonna be great this year. He's probably get him safety, on the pod. He's probably strong safety two, maybe three. Um, but like he's he's had plenty. Like he's had the highlights being dropped. Um, but I like to, to go along with this, like, I think one of the takeaways from fall camp for me so far is honestly, like how good the defense seems to have been in reports. Um, I, I'm not going to pretend like I've been at practice and I know what's going on, but I did get to catch the, uh, the scrimmage a couple weeks ago. And that was kind of my big takeaway from it. The defense actually looks pretty darn good. Um, what's the secondary depth look like? Uh, secondary depth, uh, honestly, it looked great. It's hard to tell because they're, you know, dropping eight. But uh, I, I will not I will not give ear to what Hunter is trying to get me to talk about. Take the bait. Uh, take the I bait. will not take I will not take the bait. 
because I believe in camaraderie among our BYU media brethren, even if they do not share that same camaraderie to us. Shout out to the Salt Lake Tribune, uh, which I will never say ever, ever again. Um, well, honestly, it's been the secondary that's been the most back, impressive for me. Oh, sorry. It's a leap lower. I'll mute one oh, second. Okay. Come on, Trevor. I'm so uh, sorry. Honestly, that, that's, that's what was most impressive to me, you know, during that scrimmage and so far out of fall camp is uh, how good the secondary has been. Um, BYU, this is probably the deepest cornerback room BYU's ever had. Um, you have an, you know, a former SEC starter in Gabe Judy Lally, who uh, is going to be coming off the bench. Like, I think that's, you know, the article that Hunter's referencing in the Salt Lake Tribune today, it mentioned that uh, Gabe Judy, like, isn't that great of an addition because he only has 23 games of experience and he's not going to be starting. But it's like, yeah, he had 23 huh? games of experience in the SEC and he's not even starting on this roster because D'Lo and uh, Caleb Hayes are ballers. Like, that wasn't even the full, like, the full scope of it was this BYU team doesn't have a deep secondary. They only added Gabe Judy from the SEC, and he's not even going to start. Like, that's a sign of good depth yeah, and of a good right. secondary. <laughs> like, that's a, that's not making the point I think you're it's making, my guy. No, and so, like, the secondary has been really good. Like, you'll notice in a lot of the clips and a lot of the practice reports, uh, and at the scrimmage, like there was a lot of checkdowns. Um, like Jaron, Jaron, and uh, and Jacob Conover, they have time to throw the ball because this offensive line is so insanely good. Um, but they're being forced to check down uh, because the coverage downfield has been so good. Now, what's really been impressive to me is the linebackers. The linebackers have been in good position every single time there was a dump off. Um, like we're used to seeing, like we're used to seeing checkdowns on this BYU defense, but they usually go for like seven or eight yards. Um, in each of those cases that I that I saw, at least with my own eyes, like linebackers have been in position to make plays. Like this isn't like, a, I don't know, like a, I, we'll see how the tackling is because that's always been the biggest issue and they're not really tackling in fall camp. But like the, the guys have been in position to make those plays. Um, on the defensive line, guys like Gabe Summers have had a great camp. Uh, he had two sacks in the scrimmage that I watched. Um, and he seems to be, you know, wreaking havoc. Like, we'll see how, unfortunately, our scheme doesn't put our defensive linemen in position to, to, to make plays just because there's only three guys rushing the quarterback at any given time, which means, like, at least two of the guys are being double teamed at all times. But I don't know. I'm, I'm higher on this defense than – than most are I don't really I don't really get the cause for concern like when BYU has a lot of returning production they have good defenses um I think this is uh like I I don't know I I don't fear uh I don't fear what most BYU fans do I think this defense is gonna you know granted health it's gonna look a lot similar more similar and better uh as what we saw in the beginning of last year than what we saw at the end yeah no I think I think you crushed that. Uh, it is like, it's going to be a group that is more experienced and has learned a lot from, from last year. Uh, I think getting a guy like Keenan Peely back, uh, someone who was leading the team in tackles by a large margin before he went down. And then obviously the experience that Ben Bywater gained. Um, this, this is a defense that when Joe and I, Joe and I were talking about the defense the other day, um, 
in in the fact that we thought that the offense was going to dominate, um, but they haven't they haven't been as dominant because of the defense. I don't I don't know if that's that isn't I don't think that is very concerning. I think that's something that I would have expected as long as we were healthy, right? And that's going to be the big asterisk for this upcoming season too. Is is BYU's defense going to be any good? Well, it depends. Are they healthy? Can we? maybe not lose one of our starting corners in the first five minutes of our opening game this year. Can we not have one of our best linebackers go down in our third game of the year for the rest of the season? Can we not have another one of our best linebackers go down with three games left to go in the season? I think, I think this defense is going to change. Well, let's be honest. Tuiaki is such a polarizing topic. I don't think it's going to change many people's um, minds on the defense, but I, I do think they're going to be a lot better than people think. And I think that in this case, iron sharpens iron and the offense is going to be a lot better for it as well. Yeah. I'm excited for it. I'm excited to finally get some real football. I think video highlights on Twitter are cool, but I'm ready to see some, you know, BYU players take on opposing players on ESPN at 8 30 o'clock PM on a Saturday night. Like that's what I look that's for. That's the other nine months are just enduring so that you, by the time September comes around. I've, I've had this vision in my mind that's like gotten me through since pretty much last December of me sitting at my seat with my season tickets next to my beautiful wife, cougar tail in hand, watching the sunset reflect off uh, the Wasatch Mountain Range as BYU prepares for Baylor. Like that has been like that is just like my happy place that I go to when things get stressful at work and, uh, in other places. Like I am so excited for that. Um, and a maple bar with, on the other hand. Yeah. Oh, with, with two hands. Cause we all know, you know, cougar tails are what three feet long. Um, but, uh, speaking of cougar tails, Zach Wilson, Zach Wilson. just kidding. <laughs> we're not, we're not getting into that. Boo. Um, <laughs> it's Trevor's guy. If you know, if you know, you know. Uh, it, it might be him. It might be old uh, Joe Flacco. Who knows? Apparently, yeah. according to Elijah Moore, they're the same person. So we'll wait for our our Jets roast session uh, <laughs> for our week two preview. I got another good one coming. Don't worry. <laughs> um, so I want to get more into kind of our season preview. Um, this is our last show, uh, or I guess our first show before the season. Um, Look, last year we didn't start the pod till like three games in so which ironically this year our first episode was usf so uh it's full circle yeah congratulations to us um big credit to us <laughs> for not recording for six months um so no so byu opens the season next week we're going to get more into like our specific usf preview uh on next week's show um, but more want to get into your guys's kind of season predictions. So we're going to go with uh, what your guys' projected record is going to be, um, what you think. I, I, I assume since it's the BYU Hype Train podcast, we're going to go with BYU is going to have more wins than losses. Uh, so I want to know what you guys think the losses are going to be, um, which game you're looking most forward to, um, and then uh, kind of uh, maybe we'll get to hot takes after after all that said and done. But we'll start with you, Trevor. What do you think uh, BYU's record is going to be this year? Yeah, I'm I'm looking at the schedule, and I and we I want to stay consistent with what we talked about the other day. So I'm going to go with a 
eleven and two, um, which I know is is going to look pretty blue goggled, and and by admission it probably is. But I just look at I just look at games we had last year, especially at Lavelle Edwards Stadium, where the crowd and especially the student section really bought in to the type of impact that they can have on a game, uh, just with how loud uh, they are. And that makes the games that I'm looking at that I'm that are concerning, like the Baylor um, and the Arkansas game, um, and those give me a lot more hope uh, for those games to be wins. Uh, I think I don't think Baylor's offensive line ends up being as good as it was last year, which ended up being a huge problem for us, both offensively and defensively. And I think having the crowd at our back uh, makes a big difference there. Um, and then Arkansas, same thing. I'm not, I'm not sure they're quite as talented as they were last year. They're still going to be very good. It's an SEC football team. Um, but my biggest question marks are the games away from LaBelle Edwards Stadium. So, of course, at Oregon um, and then Notre Dame at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Those are my two ones that I'm most concerned about. Um, Oregon, I mean, if we learned anything from them playing Utah last year, they weren't all that good. They did pick up Bo Nix, who, while not consistent, has had flashes of greatness at Auburn. So for them to be able to kind of fix potentially a spot, um, that was a big question mark coming in from last year. Uh, could be big for them. And then Notre Dame, new head coach, uh, losing a lot of lot of offensive and defensive talent. Obviously, Kyle Hamilton going into the first round at safety. Um, they're going to reload. They're going to be good. And so those are my two projected losses. And then I think uh, we win our bowl game as well this year. So uh, I think we potentially lose those two games um, and take advantage of the rest. A uh, real qu- quick question for you, Trevor. Is this What's the name of this podcast again? The BYU Hype Train. That's right. It's the BYU Hype Train. <laughs> and who would I be if I'm not the co-conductor of the BYU Hype Train alongside you, Trevor, and you, Joe, and tell you, tell everyone at home listening, everyone who's in their car right now driving to work or that's listening to the podcast, you know, at, at their office desk or in class or whatever it is, who would I be if I didn't tell everyone at home that BYU is going to go 14 and 0? Because they are. Because they are. Let me take you through it real quick. Here's how it's going to shake up. My <laughs> reaction right now is 14 and 0. BYU only plays 12 regular season games. Well, hold on a second. Let me take you on a little journey in for your ear holes. Uh, USF, BYU's broken the Florida curse. That's a dub. Baylor, Baylor boys don't know nothing about elevation. They're coming to Provo. That's a dub. Oregon, if we learned anything last year, like Trevor said, if that team can't beat a subpar Utah team, not only did they not beat them, they got boat raced by a subpar Utah team. That's a dub for BYU. Uh, Wyoming, that's a buy. Utah State, that's a win for BYU. Conference weekend, as is tradition. Uh, Notre Dame, Notre Dame's a tough one. In Vegas, BYU owns Vegas. Las Vegas Bowl victories out the wazoo when we were down there boat racing UNLV every year. Las Vegas is pretty much Provo South, right? That's a dub. That's a home game for BYU. I don't care what Notre Dame had to say about it. Uh, Arkansas, BYU owns mid-level subpar SEC teams. We saw it with Ole Miss. We've seen it with Mississippi State. Arkansas is just going to be the latest victim for BYU. That's a dub. Uh, Liberty, here's where it gets a little little uh, something. I don't know. Charlie Brewer named the starting quarterback for Liberty. Revenge game on his mind. I could see Liberty maybe keeping it close, maybe 
closer than 30. I don't know. We'll see. That's a dub. East Carolina, don't even get me started. Boise State, that's a revenge game for BYU. Probably the last game for a while, the blue turf. That's a dub. Uh, Utah Tech. That being the last game on the blue turf for a while is a dub in itself, but keep going. Uh, Utah Tech, I mean, BYU might as well well play Corner Canyon, although I'm glad Utah Tech can get that money. Uh, That's a dub. Stanford, there's going to be more BYU fans in attendance than Stanford fans. That's a dub. That's 12-0. 12-0 with that schedule, with wins over Stanford. With wins over Notre Dame, Arkansas, Baylor, Oregon. Guess what? BYU, third seed, college football playoff. That's right. Who do they face? Uh oh, defending national champs, Georgia. Don't matter. Jaron Hall, four touchdowns. Chris Brooks, another touchdown on the ground. And I don't know, Ryan Rico converts a fourth down conversion and somehow runs for a touchdown. BYU, 38 31 over the Georgia Bulldogs. And then who do they face in the national championship? Alabama. Well, guess what, Utah? You can take your little Sugar Bowl victory over Alabama and suck it. BYU beats Alabama, national champs. This is the hype train. Let's go. (laughs) Oh, I'm ready to run through a brick wall. When Hunter gets rolling, when when Hunter gets rolling, there's like absolutely nothing that compares. (laughs) Oh, I love Uh, it. Real talk, Uh, though, probably like 10 and 3. So, uh, that part, though. Yeah, I, I'm gonna go with <laughs> uh, my my first my first choice is 14 and 0, like Connor said. Um, I think my yeah. more serious prediction is uh, 10 and 2 in the regular season. We'll see uh, who they play in the bowl game. Um, but uh, BYU doesn't lose two bowl games in a row under Kalani Satake. Uh, BYU's coming out with a dub this year, no matter who they play in the bowl game, which will be the Georgia freaking Bulldogs as the third as the third seed in the college football playoff. Ain't that right, Hunter Miller? Let's go. Um, no, BYU so, has uh, had one national championship more recently than Georgia until this past year, so it's time for BYU to right that wrong and get back in front. So absolutely. So this season, this season's going to hinge on uh, four games. This season's going to hinge on uh, Baylor, Oregon, Arkansas, and Notre Dame. If BYU can split those two games, I think BYU goes 10 and 2. Um, I think the only, like, historically speaking, BYU will always lose a game that they shouldn't lose, um, and they'll win a game or two that they probably shouldn't win. Um, BYU should win every game, so I refute that statement on its face. Um, but I think, like, if, if there's a game that BYU could lose that it shouldn't, it would be Boise State on the blue turf. Um, like Boise's, Boise's obviously a great team. I think Liberty scares me more than most, but then I realized like that fear went away once Charlie Brewer got announced as the starting quarterback. <laughs> BYU legend Charlie Brewer uh, to those who celebrate. Um, my my thing with this schedule is we're, we're benefiting from the two toughest games and probably the two most important games on the schedule are in the first three weeks. Uh, BYU is has won 14 out of their last 15 games uh, that kicked off after seven o'clock Eastern time, uh, night game in Lavelle Road stadium, revenge game against the Baylor bears who've lost pretty much everybody, uh, from their team last year. Like, I think that game is going to put BYU on the map. Um, it's a top 10 team, top 10 Baylor team coming into town. Uh, I think BYU wins that game, honestly. Uh, and I could see them winning it by multiple, like, over a touchdown. Um, I think David Randa couldn't even remember our name, so he's dead. To oh me. yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Call this Utah. 
uh, which, as we all know, most most people thought most took us for the Pac-12 champs last year. So I guess that's a understandable error. Um, but I think I think BYU beats Baylor. Uh, I think you know you're going on the road to Autzen. That's always going to be a tough place to play. Uh, but Bo Nix is your starting quarterback. I just don't trust it. Um, Oregon is always going to have a lot of talent. But the question is, is can they keep up? Like, can they score with BYU? I think BYU is going to score a lot of points. Um, and Oregon, they lost their running back from last year. Uh, Bo Nix is coming in, which he hasn't really produced much. At, he never really produced much at Auburn. Um, and you're getting a, a you know defensive-minded head coach in his third week you know, as, as a head coach. I think that's a game BYU can win. Um, Arkansas is a game that, uh, you know, again, they're in the middle of a brutal stretch, uh, uh, right in the middle of SEC play. I think that's a game where BYU can catch Arkansas sleeping after getting, you know, beat up. Notre Dame's the Notre Dame's the question mark, but again, Notre Dame's always a little bit overhyped. So like fifth in the nation, I don't know. I think that's a game BYU can win too. Like there isn't really a game on this schedule that BYU can't win. Um, which is what's so awesome. I'll, I'll still go with the split um, because that is a brutal stretch. Um, but I think BYU finishes the regular season 10 and two, but honestly, this is, and this will be my hot take. Uh, be at least one of my hot takes. I think going three and one against that stretch is more likely than BYU going one and three. That's just me. You guys can refute that if you want. I'm sure that there will be some, you know, folks on Twitter who will have some words for me about that, but I think it's, on it, like that's that's how I see it. I think this BYU team uh, won every game that they weren't supposed to win last year. Uh, you know, no one had them going five and zero against the you know the Pac-12. Uh, you know, reason says that BYU maybe goes one and three against those teams, but this BYU team has stood up to reason against every opportunity the last two seasons. So um, I, I think it's going to be a good run. But uh, Trevor, what's your uh, what's your hot take for this season? Oh, that is that is a good question. Um, I think my hot take for the season is, I mean, obviously, I think we're going bowling. Uh, but you know what? I think it's, I think it's after New Year's Eve. Whew. I think, I think we're going to a New Year's uh, Six Bowl, and you know, whichever one it is, I'll be very happy with. But I, I do think we have the schedule that if we do go three and one. Heck, even if we split those games and win the rest, uh, we will have a strong enough resume to say we deserve to be in. I like it. I like it. Uh, my hot take is that the most important addition and the most impactful addition for this BYU football team is not a transfer. It's not a recruit. In fact, it's not even a player, but a assistant to assistant to the assistant coach. Uh, either way, it's uh, Janimal Jorgensen. Jan Jorgensen uh, helping out with the defensive line, helping out uh, Preston Hadley coach up BYU. I think he's going to be the most impactful addition because – and I like Preston. I think Preston is a good guy. I think he's a good coach. I think he has a lot of, you know, nice swagger and charisma and a guy that I think players in the locker room like a lot. But the, at the end of the day, it's a guy who played cornerback, who coached cornerbacks, who – last year was for whatever reason promoted or changed to coaching defensive ends. Uh, it's not like he played defensive end. He had never had any coaching responsibilities uh, coaching that position group before. 
And I think it showed itself at times this last year for BYU, whether that was substitution patterns, whether that was just the overall play on the field. But now you've got a guy in-house who played, not only just played defensive line, but played defensive line at BYU. Schematically, he's familiar with what BYU is going to try to do. He's been coaching uh, defensive lines. You know, he was at Snow College before he came to BYU. I think he's going to be a very impactful addition to this BYU coaching staff and just to this BYU football team. And I think it will show itself uh, with the play on the field. I think you'll see an improved BYU defensive line that's going to be able to generate more pressure, that's going to be able to get to the quarterback, stop the run uh, much better than they were in 2021. So that's going to be my hot take. I don't know if Joe – is Joe there? His screen's black. But uh, uh, he might – we might have lost him a little bit. Oh, he's back. I'm so – Did you hear my take? Uh, Yes, I did. Okay. I heard the whole thing, and it was beautiful, as always. Um, my hot take is that uh, BYU is going to average more than 40 points a game this year on offense and give up less than 20. Just uh, like 50 to 14 games every week. Not not every week. I love it. Not every week. Like, <laughs> well, you, you have uh, your, all uh, all uh, 2020. Like, you have like you have yes. look, you have your you have your Utah Techs. You have you know your your Wyoming's. You have your USFs. The games that BYU probably should roll. Maybe maybe twenty points a game is is a, is a little bit of a stretch for this defense, but like we know that you know Lisa Tuiaki defenses keep teams out of the end zone. When this team is, was at full strength last year, they held teams to under twenty points. They held Arizona to sixteen. They held a potent Utah offense to seventeen. They held ASU, which uh, was it was a good offense, to seventeen points. Um, this team, like Lisa Tuiaki, knows how to keep teams out of the end zone. Um, this, this BYU defense, especially, uh, you know, I guess what, what's the, is the correct term, the back seven with, with the secondary and the off, uh, with, with the linebackers, back eight. um, back eight, I guess with BYU's drop, drop eight. eight defense. Um, I think that this defense is going to be significantly improved. I think, uh, um, you know, led by again, health granting, um, I, I don't think there's gonna, really going to be any teams that can put up big plays on this on this defense, um, and like it'll it all just kind of hedge down to what can BYU do on third downs. Like that was the Achilles heel for BYU's defense last year, was they had a lot of third and shorts and a lot of third and mediums that they could not get off the field. Uh, I think this BYU defense, uh, with uh, the additions that they've made, um, you know, especially the ones coming off of injuries and with like with with Jan Jorgensen to Hunter, Hunter's point, you know, coming to, to coach the defensive line, I don't know. I just like I have that good feeling about this BYU defense that uh, that I had, you know, ahead of 2016, that I had ahead of 2020, you know, years where BYU did return a lot of production um, and ended up having, you know, stellar defenses like I think they will this year. Uh, the offense, I mean – you got two of the best fullbacks in the country in, in Houston Hamouli and Mason Wake. You got, you know, five offensive linemen. Three of them are going to end up in the NFL someday. Uh, you got a future NFL quarterback. You got Chris Brooks. I mean, I could probably run for 50 yards a game behind that defense or behind that offensive line. Um, but Chris Brooks was a stud at Cal. Uh, I think he runs for 1,000 yards this season. I, I, I think this BYU offense is going to be prolific. Um, and I mean, they're, they're facing some good defenses this year, but, uh, I think this BYU team is going to be able to put up points. So I'm going 40 plus, uh, per game on offense. 
and under 20 for defense. Uh, and this BYU team goes 10 and two to finish off the season. Love it. If they can do that to like Notre Dame, like 45 to 17. Oh, oh, baby. Oh my just God. every week. Could you imagine? Every week, Could 45 you to 17. Just just imagine for a second, because we can, because it's August and it hasn't started yet. BYU wins their yet. first three games by two touchdowns apiece. That is that is what I am envisioning at the end of October. I mean, that's kind of a hot take in and of itself, right? Like, I'd prefer blowouts. Like, BYU blowing teams out than close games. Yeah, I would too. I like, think, 2020 I think was a blast. Like, I don't care yeah. about the logo on the other helmet. If you're winning, like, 50 to 10... <laughs> Like, I'm all for it. I'm all about that. Stress-free football, baby. Yeah. Cool. Just let me enjoy it without the stress. Like, I don't <laughs> see why that's, like, such a hot take. People are like, no, whoa, I'd much rather prefer close games. <laughs> like, why would you do that to yourself? It's much easier to eat cougar tails without ulcers, guys. So, yeah. put up the points, man, Cougs. Guys, come on. You guys, you guys do it to me. I was prepared to, like, come in today just, like, spitting stats and analysis and – uh, Who needs them? You got confidence. To, you have irrational confidence. As opposed to being stats. like super blue goggled, but man, you guys do it to me. Um, one thing I wanted to, one thing I need wanted to to shout out before we go um, is Coop Connect. Uh, it is the NIL platform uh, for most of the BYU football team. They just released uh, an NIL platform, uh, like another company did. Um, when you when is it the NIL Club? I think is the official title. When you dig down deep into it, like, again, support the players in any way you can, but they take about an 18% cut um, for platform fees. Coup Connect does not do that. Um, so if, if you're looking for one NIL service to support, make sure it's Coup Connect with our guy, Jake Brandon. Does an awesome job. I just had uh, dinner with him and uh, a bunch of the, the players. Um, they're, they're working up a lot of really cool stuff. Stuff like um, like if you're a Coup Connect subscriber, you get uh, – um, you know, discounted access to things like Fortnite tournaments, things like private training sessions with the players. Um, and the best part is if you sign up with one of the players codes, it pays them royalty, that player royalties for the life of your subscription. So if you have, you know, a Coup Connect subscription for the next 50 years, that player is going to get your royalties for the next 50 years. So it's, it's a great way for players to get set up for life. Um, at the very least, uh, with with royalties from your subscription, goes directly to support those those BYU athletes. Um, so check them out. Uh, follow them on Twitter. Uh, wait for that drop to to come through and and follow the players. Um, a lot of great players signing up for it. Guys like Chris Brooks. Guys like you know Gabe Judy. Guys like Blake Freeland, Mason Wake. Guys that you love. Guys that you know um, are going to be with that service. But uh, with I was going to say, ahead. why would you not want to like hear directly from the players, right? Like yeah, like that one to, it, that one to one communication, the directly hearing it directly from the players' mouths, unfiltered, no, no uh, interviewers or you know BYU media rooms to judge and to. Uh, I mean, I for lack of a better term, I don't, I wouldn't say they control what the players say, but you know, it's the players are allowed to freely communicate and you know speak their minds and uh, talk to the fans directly. So I think it's a great platform. Totally. They got a lot of great content on there. So wanted to make sure they got, uh, you know, that shout out in, um, but brethren, do you have any parting thoughts for us before we go? Go freaking Cougs. 14 to no national champs, nothing less.
Absolutely. As with that, every year. <laughs> with that, brothers and sisters, thank you so much for joining us here on the BYU Hype Train Podcast. Please remember to like and subscribe uh, on the uh, whatever podcast platform you listen to. It helps us out. Um, we want to continue to do this as much as we can. We'll be back on our regular recording schedule throughout football season. Uh, and we cannot wait to watch BYU go 14-0, winning every single game by 20-plus. Let's go. Go Cougs. We'll talk to you guys next week.